Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. My goodness, you guys are so sweet. Thank you so much. Thank you for blessing us. We uh, didn't know that was happening, uh, so... We were a little surprised, uh, so thank you, thank you, and we do love you guys, and um, we're honored to be the pastors of Authentic, and some days we get it right, some days we make mistakes and we get it wrong, and I would say that, you know, for us, we do try to be really, really quick to seek forgiveness and get right with God and humility and have him just continue to lead us and and do better, and, uh, and we're so grateful that when we started this church that the Lord didn't necessarily look for the most qualified dude in the woodshed. He just got the one that said yes. <laughs> and so, uh, and then along the way, he qualifies you through the calling. And so we moved our family. Some of you know the stories. If you don't, we moved our family here uh, two and a half years ago. And, and just really on a word of the Lord to plant a life-giving church and, and not knowing anybody. And it's been such a blessing to meet all of you, friends that have become like family to us. And uh, we've seen people get married. Um, we've seen uh, babies be born. Um, we've seen people buy houses and get blessed. And uh, it's just so many joys along the way that you have as a pastor. And, uh, and I call your names before the Lord um, often. Um, sometimes I, I wonder if maybe uh, I, I pray for you uh, more than your mom does because I love you that much. And, uh, and I do, I really, really do. And it's an honor to be, to be the pastor of Authentic Church. So anyways, thank you, Nicole and Jason and all of you guys. Thank you so much. Well, we're in, um, if you've been going along with us, we're in week four of a series that we titled Kingdom Come, Praying Powerful and Effective Prayers. And uh, we, we began the, the, the series laying a foundation, talking about the sovereignty of God the, and the immutability of God. It just laid a good a biblical foundation theologically for prayer. And then in week two, uh, we, we taught you the, the Lord's Prayer and the fact that the, the exact words that Jesus taught his disciples wasn't meant to be some repair that you just repeat it 20 seconds long and you just go over and over again. No, no, it was, it was actually outlined as a pattern for prayer with seven key areas. And, uh, and then last week we unpacked the, the prayer of Jabez and uh, went through the four elements of the prayer of Jabez where he says, bless me, indeed, increase my influence, put your spirit on me and protect me from evil. So these are the three weeks. And if you want to go back and listen to any one of those that are available on podcasts or YouTube or what have you. And I just want to encourage you, you were handed today, I think when you came in, one of these daily prayer cards. I just want to encourage you uh, to actually put it to use. Uh, for myself, I, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer uh, every single day. Um, and then I, I pray the prayer of Jabez all throughout my day. So uh, in having a daily prayer card for me, it's, it's just that, that tactile sense of picking something up that I can hold tangibly that's just a really good reminder. It's just a really good reminder for prayer so that my prayers just aren't scattered or wherever or what have you, um, but that I'm actually focused in different elements the way that Jesus outlined prayer. But the goal of any prayer is really that you're having a moment with God, you're encountering him, you're building relationship with God. It's not just to go through this prayer card and just walk away and go, okay, I did it, done, check it off the list. No, if that's the case, then we missed it completely, right? The goal 
of prayer is that we're really having a time where we're encountering God. And that's, that's the heartbeat for our, our, our house. This, the vision of authentic church is that it would be a place where people would encounter God, that we'd discover community, and that all of us would fulfill the goal of God that he has on our lives. So today I want to uh, hone in on, on, a, on a certain subject of prayer, um, and that is uh, how to pray for people that don't know God. Like, how do you pray for them? Um, Fawn and I, uh, you know, we, we, we worked in, in, served in business and ministry for 20 years. And uh, this week, I, I was just thinking about all the people that the Lord's brought into our house that we've seen get radically transformed by the love of Christ and totally lay down their life. Like we've seen friends that were totally ad- addicted to alcohol and drugs and promiscuity totally get radically set free and lay their life down for Christ and we baptize them in the ocean. Uh, we had family members that gave their lives to Christ. We've had, I've had uh, employees of mine when I ran a company give their life to Christ in my, in my office at my business. And, we've, and I was just thinking about that. And so this week, uh, it, when I was in my prayer time with God at the beginning of the week, I was just praying. And, and when, I, when I pray, I have, I have my chair in my house that I like to sit in. And I got my Bible and I got my journal. I'm a journal guy. And uh, so I got my bullet journal out and I'm, I'm journaling and I'm praying. I just said, Lord, what's on your heart? And, and the Lord answered me. And it was such a great, beautiful reminder. But he, he, he told me, he said, people that don't know me. That's what's on my heart. And so today, I felt to bring a message from the Holy Spirit to us to show us and teach us, share with us some things about how to pray for people to know God. We would all agree, I think, that praying is a good thing. Uh, there's, we have an inspiration to pray. Sometimes we just kind of lack some of the tools. And hopefully, over the last few weeks, if we've gone through the, the Lord's Prayer and the Prayer of Jabez, you feel like you got, you got ammunition. You got, you got tools in your, tool, your proverbial tool belt. You got some things to pray about. And so I want to just kind of lead you through an element of prayer. And the reason this is so important is because it's important to God. Like there's a reality that says that life is short, that life is short, that eternity is real, and people really do matter most. That's a battle cry for us at Authentic Church. Like we really believe that. We know that life is short. We've seen people pass away. Life is short. All of us have seen people in the last couple years pass before their time, and they are faced with the, the reality that there is an eternity, that eternity is a real place. It's a real thing. That it's not like you just close your eyes and fall asleep one day, and then that's it. No, there's, there's actually an eternity that waits for you. And really, if that, be, if that be the case, if we really believe this, then people, man, people matter most. We need to spend our time investing into praying for, sowing in to relationships with people. It's been said that the speed of ministry moves at the speed of relationship. And the speed of relationship moves at the speed of trust. And so there's an aspect that comes through relationship where you begin to have an, an, an element of trust in somebody's life and somebody trusts you and because you love them, because you care for them, then it's our job as believers to take a moment and say, can I share something with you? Can, can I challenge you with a thought? Um, what do you think about eternity? And you weave into the conversation, the story about Christ and his redemption. And every single person, here's the big idea as we go into the text today, every single person is going to, at some point, have to give an account of their life before God. Like, we know that up here, but I, I wonder, do we really know that here? Like, do I really believe in hell? If I really believe in hell, it changes the way 
that I look at people, if I really believe that there's a hell, that, that, that that's a real place, that that's something that really happens to somebody if they don't know Jesus, that they end up in eternity apart from God, if I really believe that, then that should motivate me to pray more. It should motivate me to reach out. And I find that some, sometimes in my life I look back, I, I believed in hell up here, but I don't know that I really believed in in here. I mean, I, I believe it theologically. I, I understand that to be true. But if I really believed it, I would, I would live it out, right? It's like somebody that says that they're married and they believe they're married, but they don't necessarily act like a married man or a married woman, right? Do we, are, are you really going to live that way? Are you really going really to act and live like somebody who's married? Are you really going to act and live like somebody who's really a believer? And really, this, this, this thought of us giving an account of our lives before God, like what that moment in time is going to look like, of all the things that I do as a pastor, this is actually my highest responsibility, is to prepare you for that moment. My highest responsibility is to prepare us for the moment where we're all gonna stand before God one day and give an account of what we did. Like that, that's, that's my, my highest responsibility isn't, isn't to lead worship, although I love it and, and I, I get blessed as much as the next person, whether I'm leading or sitting in the front row. Like, I love that, but that's not my highest responsibility. My, my highest responsibility isn't necessarily to, to have dinner with you, although I love that, and if I could have dinner with everybody I'd, today, I'd say, let's go out to dinner, and kids buying, you know? So, like, you know, like, I, I, I'd say, <laughs> if, I, if, if I had that ability, you know, but, but that's not my highest responsibility. My highest responsibility as a pastor for this house is to really prepare us for eternity, that there is an eternity that awaits us. That thought either excites you or it scares you. And it, sometimes it kind of does both, if we're honest, right? Romans 14 says this. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, every one of us will give an account to God for our actions. So I just want you to think about this. It's not just for you. Everybody that you work with that you said goodbye to on Friday that you're going to see to get again tomorrow on Monday, every one of those people, they have to give an account before God. Your, 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 your parents, you won't be able to give an account for them. They will have to stand before Almighty God and they have to give an account. For you parents in the room, your children, dad, you can't stand in their place. Mom, you can't stand in their, they will have to give an account of their lives before God. Every person that you see driving on the freeway, every person at the grocery store, every person that aunts and uncles and cousins, and, and we love them all, they're all going to have to give an account of themselves before God. And that, that thought, that motivates me to pray more for them. Like, like, like that thought, that, that thought wakes me up sometimes at three o'clock in the morning and getting on my knees in my living room and praying and interceding for people. That, that thought of my kids standing before and giving an account causes me to wake up in the middle of the night, get the anointing oil, and go in there and make the room smelling like frankincense and myrrh with this cool anointing oil that we got from Israel. And I pray over each one. I anoint them with oil. I begin to declare things of God over them. That thought 
should motivate us, and it should motivate us to take action and to prayer. And some people think that there's only really there's only one judgment. That it's just like either you believe in Jesus and, and that's it, right? That there's just one judgment. But the reality is, theologically, there's two judgments. There's two judgments. There's what's known as the 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 great white throne of judgment, and that sounds so heavy, and it is, but it sounds so heavy. The great white throne of judgment, and that's based on the scriptures. I'll show you in a second. And then the second judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. So you have the first judgment, which is the great white throne of judgment. The second is the judgment seat of Christ. Let me give you a couple scriptures that lays this out. Um, I'm going to take you to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It says this, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. So, so time is, is, is it's, it's over. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne, and the books are open. So basically, time is over, it's done, and now everybody's being brought before the Lord, and I don't exactly know how it's going to play out, but the Bible gives us some description of it. But the great, the, every, every person, the, the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne, and then books were open. That's important to remember. There's books, that's plural, and then singular, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And then there's, so this picture is that there's books, and then there's one book, okay? So everybody's going to be, now this is, the, this, this, this is the great white throne of judgment, okay? This is, this is, this is you're either going to be judged by the books, which there's books of your life. <laughs> and that may be the worst news you heard all day, but there's books of everything that you've ever done <laughs> in life, right? And, and then, and then, and that's, that's all of your stuff. And then there's the book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's everybody's name who put their faith in Jesus. And, and the, in the books, you get judged by what you did. In the book, you get judged by what Jesus did. Okay? The moral of the story is this. When that day comes, you don't want to be judged on the books of what you did you want to be judged on the book of what he did, right? Because hell is not some place. It's like, I used to think that hell was just a place where bad people go, right? Like, like well, that's just, if, if, you're, if your good doesn't outweigh your bad on the scales in heaven, uh, then you're in hell. But if your good outweighs the bad, well, then you go to heaven. Like, that's, hell, hell, is not, hell is not a place where God sends bad people or people that he's mad at. It's just simply a place where sin gets paid for. And you can either pay for it or you can have Jesus pay for it. It's your choice, right? And so, so you, have, you, you have the books and you have the book. The question is, what do you do with that? Like at this judgment seat, the great white throne of judgment, there's a, there's a question that gets asked. And the question is this. The question that God has is, is what did you do with my son Jesus? Like what did you do with him? Like was he, was he a fairy tale to you? Did you look at him as a fictional character? Did you not really look at him that he was the son of God? And historians, secular and sacred alike, agree that there was a man named Jesus who lived in an area of Israel, that he spent 33 and a half years on this planet Earth, that he died and he rose again, and over a period of 40 days, he appeared to over 500 witnesses that said, we saw him, we ate breakfast with him, he's real. Like, this really happened. And they can't make sense of it. 
But the Christians can make sense of it because they know Jesus. He's not just a historical figure. He's a Savior that's personal. There's a relationship. It's not a religion. I'm not just attending church. I'm not just giving God lip service. I'm actually believing. I'm living, I'm living this out. And so there's these two judgments. There's, there's the, the first judgment, which is the great white throne of judgment. And then there's the second judgment. And, and, and the second judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, at the great white throne of judgment... The great white throne of judgment is, is like heaven or hell, okay? If you don't know Jesus, that's the only judgment that you will have, which that's not, a good, that's, that's not a good thing. If you know Jesus, there's a second one. By the way, when it comes to, to, to the concept of hell and just describing that, Jesus, more than any other person in the Bible, talked about hell. He talked about hell as a subject more than any other figure in history. And the reason I believe that he did is because like a loving Savior, like a good father would want to warn their children, Jesus is trying to warn his kids in a healthy way, right? There's, 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 there's a healthy element of fear and reverence and respect, right? Any of you have kids, you know you got kids and you tell them, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that. Why? Because whatever they touch is going to burn them, right? Well, and you don't want them to get burned because you care for them so much. So you, you instill an element of fear in that thing that you don't want them to do because it's not that you want them to be fearful or have a spirit of fear. It's that you want them to be respectful that that could really, really harm them, that they don't want to do this. So Jesus, more than any other figure in the Bible, talked about hell. And he shared it. He actually shared in great detail in just a few things, and I'm just going to rip through some of these things. In Luke 16, he describes it as a great chasm over which no one can cross from there to us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells of a time where we're going to be separated into two groups. There's going to be one entering into his presence and the other banished to eternal fire. Like Jesus outlines this. He doesn't just reference hell. He actually <laughs> describes it in great detail. He says it's a place of eternal torment, Luke 16, 23. In Mark 9, 43, a place of unquenchable fire. And I know we don't have any of these screens, so you'll just have to mark them down or re-listen to this message. He says in Mark 9, 48, it's where the worm does not die. It's where people gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. It's a place from which there is no return, not even to warn your loved ones, Luke 16. Je Jesus calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna. Gehenna was the big trash dump that was outside of the city of Jerusalem where all the, all the, the trash gets burned and there's maggots and flies. And it, that, he, he describes it in great detail. And so if we really believe that life is short, and it is, if we, if we really believe that, uh, that eternity is real, and it is, then we do have to live a life that says, you know what, people matter most. People matter most. Like, I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to lay down my life in my own personal preferences and desires because people matter most, and his mission is more important than my vision for my own life. So in Christianity, we say a term like this. Have you ever heard this? Jesus forgave me of my sins. And we say it so nonchalantly, and we're kind of like, he forgave me. But that thought that, that sin has to be paid, right? It's not like just sin, it just goes away. It had to be paid for. So it's like in accounting, when you, when you have accounting, if any, there's any bookkeepers in the room or any accounting majors in the room, in, in, in the aspect of accounting, right, you, you, you have debits and credits, okay? If your account is debited too much, you have a deficit from where it should be. So here's where it should be, but you have a deficit. If you can't pay that deficit and you have payroll coming up and you run a company, then you have to go get a loan to help 
that deficit so that you can pay your employees, right? Well, Jesus saw that there was a deficit in humanity. When sin entered the world through Adam, there was one man, Jesus, who came then to redeem. So through one man, sin entered the world. Through one man, we were redeemed of all sin. And so there was a deficit, and that deficit, that, that, that it had to be paid for. It had to be accounted for. Romans 6.23 says it like this. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like it's a free gift. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can never be good enough, smart enough, handsome enough, pretty enough. You can't do all the good, good things and think you're going to get to heaven. And I thought that. That, that's, that. that was my plan before I knew Jesus. My plan was do more good things than bad things by the time that final breath is breathed and I get to go to heaven. But Jesus is like, nah, that actually in the way that works. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift is eternal life. So Jesus paid for that. So the question is, when it comes to your sin, when it comes to my sin, who's going to pay for that? Do you want to pay for that? Or do you want to allow Jesus to pay for it? I mean, that's the message of the gospel. It's a free gift. So this is the first judgment, which is the question on this one is, what did you do with my son Jesus? What did you do with my son Jesus? When I got saved, um, uh, everything was brand new to me. I, I grew up Catholic and, and had a great family, and I, had, I actually had a great priest and everything like that. But if I'm honest with you, I didn't really understand a whole lot, and I, and I, and I didn't really read the scriptures. I mean, the Bible was kind of what I kept on my shelf at home to keep the boogeyman away, you know. And, and I never really opened it. So when I get saved and I started opening the Bible, somebody introduced me to the Roman road to salvation. Has anybody ever heard of that? The Roman road, right? And I thought it was the stinking coolest thing. I was like, man. This is brilliant. Whoever came up with this is so smart, right? It's the Holy Spirit. And so uh, through Paul wrote the, the, the book of Romans. And so the, they called it the Roman road to salvation. And if you want to think of it, the book of Romans was a book, a writing, a letter that Paul wrote to the church that was in Rome. And when he wrote it, if you look back through the scriptures, it's literally like he left all these cookies along a trail leading you to salvation. And so let me just share a few of those scriptures that are along the way. And I'm a fan of simplicity. So this really made sense to me. I, I'm the kind of guy like, if it's not applicable to my life, like I'll listen and I'll, I'll, I'll take in a teaching or whatever, but man, if I can apply it, well then I'm, I'm all ears, right? You ever taken a class in school and it's like, yeah, that was good. I guess I feel smarter, but I don't, it doesn't really apply to my life. And my kids are like, amen. And I'm like, no, you got to stay, you got to keep doing math, son. You have to, it's good. You're learning. The brain is learning different solutions. There's more than just the numbers, you know. And so, but you ever, but then when you, but then when you have the option, like when you're in college, you get the option of taking something you actually enjoy, that you actually want to study, and then you soak it up so much, right? And so, like, this was something that I really wanted to learn. So I'm, I want to share it with you. And by the way, little pro tip here. If you have one of those old-fashioned Bibles, the ones that you actually open with pages and everything, if you have one of those Bibles, uh, what I, what, there's, there's a pro tip that I, somebody taught me called chaining your Bible. And what you do is all you got to do is memorize. If you want to take somebody through what I'm about to share you, all you got to do is remember the address to the first verse, and then you just make a little note on the bottom of the page that says where the next verse is, and then you turn there, and then you look like a pro. Like, you just look like you're the Bible whiz, even though you, you know, you only had your Bible still smells brand new, right? And so this, so this, this, this pastor taught me this. So the road to Romans, Romans 3.10 3, says this, no one is righteous, not even one. 
Not even one. So when you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they say, I think I'm good enough or I'm smart enough, really. Like if somebody would have challenged me as a good Catholic boy, like this would have just like, like blown my mind. Like, wait, what? They, yeah, no one's righteous, not even one. It says right there, Romans 3.10. Then if you go to the next one, flip, flip the page, Romans 3.23. And this is why, because everybody has sinned. We, we, we've all sh fallen short of God's glorious standard. Oh, okay. Well, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. I got, we've all sinned. Yeah, I got sin in my life. Romans 6.23 says this. Now, if you got sin, this is it. We just read it a minute ago. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do, do you want to die and pay for the penalty of your sins, or do you want to trust in Jesus? Uh, Jesus, all right? You know, mama didn't raise no dummy. So, okay, so, that, so Jesus, okay. Well, then let's go to Romans 5.8. Let me... Turn back a page here. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Man, that's good news. And then Romans 10, 9. This is one of my favorites to share with people when you lead them to the Lord. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And then Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Romans 8, 1, the road is still going. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So any condemnation, shame, things that you've done wrong, it's clean slate, like it's done. Like, like it's as if it never happened, really? Like I can be free of that, that shame and the stuff that I've done, yep, 100%, be totally free, it's done, like it's over. You don't have to walk in that. God doesn't want you to walk in shame. Anytime that you feel conviction, that's the Holy Spirit. When you feel shame, that's the devil, right? And then you go back and you remind him in the scripture, Romans 8.1 says, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, so get out. Romans 8.38, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is the Roman road to salvation. And when I learned this, it just like clicked for me. It's like one of those little things, like, you know, I heard somebody say, if it's memorable, it's portable. This was memorable, this was portable. And I've used this so many times. It's just a really good reminder for you. Like, this is the simplicity of the gospel laid out. And when you're talking to somebody, sharing your faith with that family member, that loved one, that coworker, et cetera, these are some good scriptures to have in your back pocket that when asked, you, you can pull out, you can, you can use. So again, at the... This prepares you, these, the Roman road, it prepares you for the questions that are coming at you at the great white throne of judgment where, G, where, where you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, what did you do with my son, Jesus? What did you do? You, did you give him your life or just a part of it? My wife was sharing an incredible revelation with me this week in our quiet time. Sometimes we talk back and forth in our quiet time and she's in her chair and I'm in mine. And... Um, 
And she was sharing, she says, you know, in the book of Exodus, where the children of Israel are leaving uh, Egypt at, at the first Passover, the Lord instructed them to go and get the Passover lamb, and then they would put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and then they had another instruction, and that was they, were, they had to eat the entire lamb. They had to eat the whole thing. They couldn't just take a part of it. They had to eat the whole thing. Tasty. Like, I mean, you know, it's not tasty. I'm joking. Okay. But they had, to, they had to eat the whole thing. And it was a prophetic picture of the fact when Christ came, you can't just take the part that feels good to you. You can't just take the part that says, oh, I agree with that. Amen. Oh, I don't know, Jesus. You're starting to, starting to talk to me about um, what I'm doing outside of, of work in some, some sexual areas of my life that's nobody's business. And he says, no, no, no. I, I actually care about that business. I actually care about those areas. of your life. Ah, Jesus, you're talking to me about forgiveness and having to forgive. I don't want to, like, you don't know what they did to me. No, I, I know what they did to you. They did worse to me. I'm, I'm telling you, you actually, <laughs> if you don't forgive, then, then your forgiveness from me is like cut off. So I, you, you need to go forgive. And sometimes we just want to eat a part. Mm, that's the tasty. Oh, that's good. Those are the ribs. That's, that's good. And, and you got to eat the whole thing. You got to have all of Christ in our lives. Amen? So quick story. So Fawn and I, um, you know, obviously we've been married now for over 20 years. And, and we've actually been together dating longer than we were ever not dating. So we've known each other and been together longer than we were apart from each other. Aww. And uh, and I remember when we were we were dating and we, we became like best friends and it was and it was uh, I remember the date it was actually September seventeenth two thousand I, I was gonna have the talk and you know and you know what the talk is right if you if you're friends and you're going like we're coming out of the friend zone into the dating zone right it was it was the the talk it was the DTR talk anybody know what the DTR right the define the relationship talk right and so so i got this whole plan and and everything and so uh, we were, we had this big youth event uh, that night it was a sunday night we had this big youth event that we took our, i was a youth pastor at the time and fawn was my best disciple and so uh, so so, true story, Fawn and a bunch of people, I was discipling them. And so we went to this big youth event at a high school, and then afterwards we were taking some of the kids home. And one of the rules that I had as a single guy was I never rode alone in a car with a person of the opposite sex. It's still a good rule to have, and I, I do have that in my marriage too, by the way. But it was one that I also had when I was single, and the reason why is just sometimes there's a transference of emotion that would happen, and, and girls would think that I liked them, and I'm just like, we're just friends, and it got weird and everything else. So I just drew a hard line in the sand and so I was I was single didn't date anybody for two years and I just said the next person I date is going to be my wife and everybody kind of knew that and uh, and so we're taking these kids home and dropping them off well there was one kid that needed a little bit further and so I dropped him off and in dropping him off the only one in my car was Fawn so that was like my subtle foreshadowing of things to come in the conversation that night, you know. And so, so we dropped the kid off, and then we went down to this place that was a marina called the Des Moines Marina uh, in the area where we grew up. And, and it was cold, rainy, ugly, typical Seattle fall day. And, and that night, and so we pulled down, and, and we're talking and sharing and just how good God was and all these young people that were touched by the Lord, and wasn't it great, and worship, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking in my head, like, yeah, this is great, but I'm kind of tired talking about the kids. Like, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about us or whatever the lyrics are of that song, you know. But I'm like, you know, like, I want to talk about something else other than the kids, you know. <laughs> you know? I have a plan. And so, like, slowly I'm, I'm weaving this into the conversation and then it just kind of like blah, 
comes out, right? And that in, in that moment, like having this conversation, the DTR conversation, it, it's it's I mean, it's probably right up there. It's close to the Great White Throne of Judgment conversation. That's how nervous I was, right? I mean, like I'm like, oh, you know, here's your heart, you know. And this is either going to end with me like dancing or going home heartbroken and crying myself to sleep, you know. And so we're 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 having the conversation. I begin to share with her, and one of the things that I I shared with her, I said earlier this week, and I I I went to your 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 dad's house, and she goes, Oh, you did? I said, Yeah, I went to your parents' house, and I chatted with your dad, and. And, uh, and, and she goes, oh, why'd you do that? And I said, well, I wanted to ask his permission if I could court you. And by the way, courting is different than dating. I believe in courtship. I'm not sure that God's a fan of dating. It just was really good training for divorce. And so, uh, so I said, I wanted to court. I wanted to court you. And um, she's like, you know, deer in headlights. <laughs> pun intended, pun intended, fawn. Oh, dear, Okay. Oh dear, oh dear, you didn't get that one. You didn't get that. And so, so, so I, I share this with her, and she's looking at me. She's like, with her big, gorgeous eyes, mm-hmm. And she's giving me no love. And I'm like, we're not playing poker. <laughs> My wife's a really good poker player. I'm like, we're not playing poker. And there's nothing, and I'm feeling my heart begin to palpitate, and I'm sinking, and I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, mayday, 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 pull up, pull up, pull up, <laughs> just be, you know, something, we're going to be friends again, just kidding, you know, I don't know, so, you know, <laughs> you know, you're like, ah, and she's like, what did my dad say, and I said, he said it's up to you, if you want to date me, she's like, okay, and nothing, and I'm like, I'm like, my heart is on the floor of my car, you know, I'm like, oh my, like, tell me something, and, and she's like, okay, and then finally, like, it was minutes, everybody, like, it was minutes, it was minutes, Fawn, it was, she's shaking her head, well, yes, but it felt like hours, okay, and, and finally, she admits that she likes me, too, and I'm like, <sighs> Okay, all right, you know. So now we've been dating. We just celebrated uh, today. That conversation would be 1,150 weeks, baby, 1,150 weeks. And so we've been dating that long. So, but we needed to have a define the relationship moment. And I think Jesus wants to have a defining relationship moment with the church. I think there's a conversation that he wants to have with his church because we live in a country where 75% of the people say, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. And they would have gotten this question, what'd you do with my son? They, they actually are not prepared for that question and they, I fear that they would have gotten it wrong. And I'm on a mission, man. I'm on a mission in my life to reach as many people and help them get that question right. I want, I want them to get that right. I want us to get that right. And, and I believe that when the church gets saved, that you'll actually see a change in our country. You'll see a change in the way we vote, which by the way, please vote. It's coming up soon. If you haven't already, you'll be able to vote in a few weeks. Um, live it out though, like not just like at a, at a voting booth, but I'm, I mean like in how you live your daily life, let's live it out like Christians who really believe that there is an eternal judgment that awaits every single person on our block, in our offices, in our families, extended families, and let's just make the decision that we're gonna live for the cause of Christ, amen? 
All right, so the second judgment, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and then I'm going to get into I have five things that I'm going to show you in terms of praying, how to pray for those that don't know Jesus, and then we're going to have a time of prayer at the end today. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So this judgment, this is the judgment seat of Christ, and it's actually kind of misnamed. It's kind of hard. It's kind of harsh sounding. It's really more of a reward ceremony. It's, it's one where we're all going to clap for each other. You're going to clap for me. I'm going to clap for you. And it's a time where you get rewarded for all the awesome things you did. But the reason that Jesus brought this up, the reason that this is talked about in the scriptures, the reason is because he's trying to motivate you. Once you have a relationship with Jesus, the question is awesome. Now, what'd you do with it? Like, like, like I placed you in 2022. I, I, gave, I placed you in a time and an age where you can literally communicate with people all around the world within moments, seconds. You can get on a plane today, fly anywhere in the world. I placed you in the greatest country on earth. America, with all of its challenges and problems, is still the greatest country. And like, I, like the Lord placed you here. And at the judgment seat, he's like, so what'd you do? Like, what did you do? Like, that thought motivates me, and it motivates me to pray for the unbelievers. So now I'm just going to jump into some areas of praying for those that do not know Jesus. I'm going to give you five practical ways of praying for people that don't know Jesus. And I'd encourage you, if you're taking notes today, write these down. And if you're not taking notes today, write them down anyway, okay? Like put a note in your phone or in your bulletins. There should be plenty of space for you to, to, to write these down. But I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help you with that question. What did you do with the life that God gave you? And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have five points of praying for people that don't know Jesus. And through these five points, this is how we prayed all of our friends and family in. My, my parents, I prayed them into the kingdom of God. I baptized them. My brothers, I prayed them into the kingdom of God. I watched them get baptized. Like I've seen so many friends. I'm going to share with you today. So these five areas are critical. Number one, the first thing that I want to encourage you to do, number one is to visualize these people being drawn to Jesus visualize them being drawn to Jesus. So what I would do is I would literally close my eyes and I would see my family in my mind. And in the way that I did it, this is just me personally, I pictured as if I was in the front of the church and, and I saw my family um, about two or three rows back on, the, on this side of the church. And that's, that was just when I thought to pray for them, that's just an image that popped into my head. So I would pray for them, and I would see them, and I would go through, and I would see them, and I would pray and declare that they are going to serve God. And I went through a series of things that I prayed. John six forty four says this, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So we're praying that God the Father is drawing them. So here's a prayer, and we're gonna, I just typed out a prayer. I'm going to throw it up here. You can take a picture of it and save it, make it your own, whatever. But I'm just trying to make it really easy for you to take and apply something like this into your life and praying for those that don't know Jesus. The prayer is this. Father, I pray for the people around me, and then list out their specific names. And on your daily prayer card, there's an area there for you to pray that, for people that don't know Jesus. My wife, before I knew her, before I ever met her, she was a name on a prayer card that we would get together and pray over at church. I had no idea how beautiful she was or how amazing she was. I had no idea she would one day be my wife. It was literally just praying for this woman, Fawn, to know Jesus. And she was a name on a prayer card. So list their names out. So, Father, I pray for these people 
people around me, that you would supernaturally draw their hearts to you. Send your Holy Spirit to them and give them the desire to give their lives to you. Help them to recognize their longing more in life as a spiritual thirst that only you can quench. Open their ears to hear your voice in Jesus' name. And I would pray that, and I would physically see them being drawn to the presence of God, that they're coming into church, they're coming to a small group, they're, they're walking in the doors, they're sitting down, they're lifting their hands in worship, they're, they're repenting, they're calling on the name of the Lord. Like I would see that in my mind's eye. Number two, the second thing you pray, bind the spirit that blinds their minds. Bind the spirit that blinds, you have authority as a child of God. Okay? Sometimes the devil will come at you and make you feel you don't got authority. Trust me, if you're right with God, you got incredible amounts of authority and you got incredible amounts of power and he knows it. That's why he tries to keep you from praying for people and praying for yourself. And so I want to encourage you, pray. It says you can bind on earth and you can you can loose on earth, right? We bind the things as and we loose things. And so we're going to pray that. 2 Corinthians 4:4 4, 4 says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We, we pray against what is ever in their way. So that they, I, I like to pray it this way. I like to see it like it's a veil. We, I just pray that the veil would be lifted off of their eyes, like, like, a, like, like a, a, a bride on her wedding day, that that veil is being lifted and that she's going to actually see Jesus. So my prayer is this. Father, I bind the evil spirits that are blinding the minds of the people around me. In the name of Jesus, I pray that they would be able to see clearly, to recognize who you are, and to give their hearts to you. God, I pray that you would remove all hindrance the enemy would try to use to distract them from your truth. So open their eyes, Lord, that they might see Jesus. And the motivation for this, again, is that there really is a heaven and a hell. That, that if they do not know Jesus, they're not going to heaven. Like that, they, if they don't have that relationship, there a reality awaits for them that I don't want. I, I don't want to get to heaven and think, man, I coulda, shoulda, woulda. I, I, I want to get to heaven with as many people as I can. All of my family, all of my friends, all of my coworkers, all the people that I, I want to see as many of them come to Christ as possible. Number three, the third thing: pray that they may have a personal relationship with God. It's got to be personal. Like they can't come in on your coattails because you're a believer in their life. They can't come in on mom or dads. They, they, they're going to have to give their own account. And some people think that Christianity is just some other religion. It's not. It's not. It's not a religion. Like it really is a relationship. That's not a cliche that somebody says. That that's, that's a defining change. That every other religion is all about them climbing and trying to get to God. Where Christianity is all about a God who came to earth to live and die and, and, and to live for you and to live inside of you now. Romans 8.15 says this, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about by your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So God wants, he wants to adopt you. <laughs> he wants to adopt you and he wants to adopt them. And in adopting, he doesn't want you to live as an orphan. He actually wants to adopt you and put you in a family. This is our family, Authentic Church. We are a family. He wants, to, he wants to adopt you and he wants to adopt them. So my prayer, Father, I pray that people will understand how much you love them. And I loose the spirit of adoption over people around me so that they come into a meaningful relationship with you. God, I pray that you'd stir their hearts a longing to come home, to hear your voice, to see you welcoming them with open arms. Let them know you are always running to meet them and hold them close. So we pray for them. 
And I pray, Father, I pray that you would move upon their hearts, God. I pray that they would receive that, that, that adoption, that they would they'd become adopted into the family of God. And then number four, it goes right into this. I pray for believers to cross their paths and that they would be planted in a local church. They gotta be planted. I've seen too many people that got saved and they never got planted in the church and then they'd blow up their lives. Well, why is that? Well, because G Jesus talked about this. He says, that, well, they're, they're gonna be like that seed that was sown among the, the rocks and the weeds and everything else. So we wanna see them planted in good soil. We wanna see their roots go down deep because we know when they get planted in the house of the Lord, they're gonna flourish in the courts of our God. Matthew 9:38 says this. Jesus says, hey, ask, if you need help, ask the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. So I, I'm praying that there's spiritual farmers all over Costa Mesa and throughout the different areas of the country where I got friends and family that don't know him. I'm praying that there's spiritual farmers up in the Northwest where I got family and friends that need to know Jesus. I'm believing there's spiritual farmers. And so I'm praying, Lord, would you just totally disrupt their day with the most awesome on-fire Christians? Would you just send tons of, would you, all these different Christians, God, that, that are, are just full of the Holy Spirit and the joy, would you just send them across their path that they would know you. God, I pray that it would be so hard for them that everywhere they go that they get an invitation to church. I was invited, the church that I finally got planted in, I literally had been invited by so many people to, and I was, I was a teller at a bank. And then one day I showed up at this church. I had visited a number of church looking for a good church, and I found this one church, and man, they, they, I walked in and they felt like family. And you know what it was? They were my, my favorite clients that I had when I was a bank teller. And it was the craziest thing. All my favorite clients, they went to this one church in an area of town where I lived. And I walked in and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. Like all you people. And they're like, he's coming to Jesus. You know, like, <laughs> like I was their prayer card. Like wave the banner, you know. <laughs> Psalms 92, 13, reminder. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. So we pray that they're gonna be planted and flourish. Here's my prayer. Father, I pray for the lost around me to meet believers who will influence them in a positive way. Positive way, a positive way. Lord, let my life shine in such a way that people wanna know the God that I serve. Allow others to see my genuine love and concern for them in all that I say and do. I pray they will encounter you and discover community in a life-giving church where they can be planted and roots go down deep in Jesus' name. Come on, there's a need. Your prayers are powerful. The fifth thing I'd pray, pray the release of the spirit of wisdom and revelation on them. Pray a release of the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they may know God better. That's the moment. That's like the eureka, the aha moment that you and I have had where it's like we've heard it, 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 we've heard it. Wait, so Jesus died for my sins? Yeah, like, bro, I've told you that like a hundred times. I've, we've walked down the road of salvation, the Roman road. I feel like I'm exhausted walking down the Roman road with you, bro. Like, yes, that is the truth, yes. And then, pow, oh, that all makes sense. Like, there's gonna be that aha moment. Like, I'm praying for that, that spirit of revelation to come on them. Ephesians 1.17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. People need wisdom, not knowledge. A lot of people know about God, they don't know God. There's a difference. There's a difference. And we want them, that's one of the, why one of the vision, part of the vision of Authentic Church is that it would be a place where people encounter God. That they have an experience that nobody can take away from them. 
That they're like, man, I, I was this way and then that way, and man, I don't know, I came in and it was different and people were singing and lifting their hands and there was this guy that was talking and really passionately and with a bad mustache and, and they were, you know, and, and, and he was sharing with the gospel and, and, but suddenly it all made sense, like, like we want them to have that moment where they just like come alive. You know, it's just like, come alive. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're feeling that. You're feeling a come alive inside of you. Like, man, this is, this is hitting me. Like, this is speaking to me. Can I just encourage you? It's no accident that you're sitting here today. It's no accident that you're sitting in this church in Orange County today. That this might have only been on your calendar as of yesterday or this morning, but it's been on God's calendar like your entire life. And he's got a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. And he wants to not just be a component of your life, he wants to give you a brand new life. Like that's why he came. So my prayer for people is this. Father, I, I pray for the people around me. I pray that they would experience the spirit of wisdom. I pray that they, the prayer for people around me, there you go. Father, I pray for the people around me to experience the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray that they would truly understand their spiritual condition. Like they really see, sometimes we think we're better than we are. We ain't that good. We need Jesus. On your best day, you need him. On your worst day, you need him. I love that song. Their spiritual condition and see what Jesus did for them on the cross. Help them to have the information and experiences needed to come to you so that they can understand all that you have for them. God, that they would just hunger for that, man. So a testimony of my family, I shared it how I'd pray for them. I kid you not, one day, I, and I would invite my family to church all the time, and I'll have Kara join me up front on the keys if you could, Kara. But I, I would invite my family to church all the time. And like I was just like, in their minds, crazy. And that's debatable. <laughs> but, but in their minds, I was crazy. And I would pray for them, and I'd invite them to church all the time, and, and, and they would always say no. And, but I would still invite. And honestly, when I invited, like, I got to the point where I'm like, I know they're going to say no, but I'm just going to invite them anyway. You know, I'd go upstairs, and they'd be, you know, buttering their toast or whatever at the house, and I'd be like, Hey, uh, do you want to go to church with me today? No. Okay, see you. Well, I'm going to be at church. Here's the address if you want to go. You know? And I'd go to church. And I would do that over and over again. And I would pray like this. And one of the things that I would do is I would pray and I would, I would see them in the row. And then I would walk up and it went my dad, my mom, my brother, my brother. And so I would walk over to them and I would look into my dad's face. And my dad's just got like the best smile. Like he's just so jolly. He's just his smiley cheeks. And I would look at his face and I'd see him just like smiling. And I'd visualize this in my mind's eye. I'd say, Dad, do you love Jesus with all your heart? And he'd say, yes, son, I do. And I'd see this as I'm praying for him in my mind, in my prayer time. Dad, are you, are you, are you, are you baptized in water? Are you gonna live for Jesus for the rest of your life? Yes, yes. And I'd say, Dad, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? And he'd say, yes, I am. Say, Dad, are you going to live for Jesus all the days of your life and dwell in his house forever? And I'd see him literally doing this. Yes, yes, Jeff, yes. Like, yes. Like, I did it. They're like, all right, that's will, God's will for your life. So in the name of Jesus, I declare it is on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, I declare this over your life. Mom, I love you, Mom. Mom, I, I see you right now. And then I would do it with my mom. I'd say, Mom, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you been baptized in water? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I'd see her smiling, saying, yes, yes. 
Say, in Jesus' name, go to my brother Scott. Scott, my brother, I love you. And I had to go to my brother Greg. I kid you not, in one year, all of them came to the Lord. Every one of them. And I had the honor of baptizing my parents in a cold river, <laughs> very cold. And seeing them just be used mightily by God and God transform their lives. And so I just want to encourage you. Today, we actually filled up the baptismal tank. We, we originally didn't have anything scheduled, but then I got a text message yesterday from Kara, who's leading us in worship today, and she says, I just feel that God wants to do something new in my life, and I feel like I need to be baptized. Would you baptize me tomorrow? And, and the answer for us is always yes, okay? We don't, yes, we do plan baptisms every single month, but we, we do them spontaneous. And anytime somebody wants to get baptized, we're gonna baptize them. And if you're sitting here today and you, you feel like, man, God's pulling on your heart and you wanna go all in for Jesus and be baptized, I'm telling you it's the greatest decision that you can ever make. We, we have shirts and you know, we have towels. And if we don't have what you need, we'll do the best. I'll give you the shirt off of my back, man. Like, I'll, whatever we need to do to help you may take this moment, like, this is, this, is, this is your moment. Like, this was in time and on God's calendar before it was on yours, and you're here for a purpose. And so I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna have a moment of prayer up front, and we're gonna have Kara lead us in the last song. And if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to pray with you personally. I'm going to be up front. We're going to have the prayer team join me up front at this time. And we're going to pray if you have any needs going on in your life, whether you want to accept Christ or you need prayer for healing or you need prayer for a situation or you need prayer for a new job, whatever is going on in your life, we want to pray with you. But most importantly right now, I want to invite you to pray the greatest prayer that you can ever pray, and that's the prayer of salvation. So I'm gonna lead us out, kind of like a, a pastor would at a wedding ceremony where you have the bride and the groom, and they, he kind of facilitates the reading of the vows. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna lead us out in this prayer as, as you join your heart to, the, to Christ, to your Savior. And so as a church family, we're just all gonna pray this together. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you pray this, like from your heart, like from your guts, man, like you really, like this is your moment. Your life will never be the same again. Today is your day. And the prayer is just simply this, just repeat after me, Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. And I'm putting my faith in you. I believe you're the son of God that you died and you rose again. And so today, I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me clean, make me new. I wanna live for you for the rest of my life and for all of eternity. So today, Lord, I put my faith in you, I've believed on you, and I pray that you would fill me Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, from sincerity, genuinely, your name is now written in the book. And if today you breathe your last breath, you're not gonna be judged based on the books of what you've done with your life. 
but in the book based on what Jesus did. Why don't we just all stand together? As we close, I'm going to have Kara sing this song, The Lord's Prayer, Our Father. And, and I'd encourage you, don't just sing it, pray it, worship it out. Don't just sing songs on a screen like karaoke, but like really worship from your heart. And we're just going to open up the front and have prayer. We always have prayer every time. We want to cover the body of Authentic Church, cover the families, the individuals of Authentic with prayer. If you need prayer for anything, now's the time to come forward. We always have prayer at the end of our service for a few minutes, and then we're going to dismiss. And if you'd like to be baptized today, uh, we'd be honored to baptize you. And, uh, and if you need to carry on your day after we sing and worship for a second you're welcome to leave but we'll go ahead and just have some some time of worship and pray if you need prayer for anything go ahead and come forward now thank you for more information on authentic church visit us online at authenticoc.com